Hi, and welcome to IOL Radio. I'm Amy Peltier, Managing Editor of IOL Learning, a digital publication geared toward interventional oncologists and the news source for the Symposium on Clinical Interventional Oncology. In this video, we will discuss the results of the TARGET study, which was recently presented at SIR in March. Our guest host today is Dr. Riyadh Salem, Chief of Vascular and Interventional Radiology at Northwestern Medicine. He will be speaking with Professor Marnix Lamb, one of the principal investigators of the TARGET study and Professor of Nuclear Medicine and Chief of Nuclear Medicine at the University Medical Center, Utrecht. So welcome to uh, this uh, podcast uh, today, talking about the TARGET results. Um, my name is Riyadh Salem. I'm interventional radiology at Northwestern. And it's a pleasure to have uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Marnix Lamb from uh, Utrecht Medical Center, uh, who's really gonna be uh, helping us understand the TARGET, um, the results, uh, help us make sense of them and interpret them. Um, I have done these uh, podcasts already uh, before and they're really quite enjoyable because we get to uh, hear experts explain uh, the information, the data, help us digest it and, and incorporate it in our clinical practices. So it's really a pleasure to have uh, Marnix here. Marnix, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks, Ariad. Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too, Marnix. So congratulations. You presented Target as a uh, late-breaking abstract uh, at the SIR. Uh, this is something that uh, you and I and Etienne collaborate on over several years. And, um, and I'm looking forward to talking uh, to you about it for the next uh, 30 minutes or so. And, and let's start just with uh, some simple stuff, Marnix. Tell me about Target. What was the study, the design? Why is it important? What, what are your big picture thoughts about Target? Well, I think we've seen over the years that there were many, many publications on dose-effect relationships. But uh, of course, now there is the legacy study and we have the dosier study. We'll be talking about that, I guess. Um, but I think many of us question, like, can, can we do it ourselves? Is this something that can only be done in expert centers, in a research setting with highly selected patients? Or can we also do this in our clinical practice, in routine daily care? And I think that's, that's, that's the main purpose of Target, showing that this is doable, that everybody can do it, and that it also confirms in real-world data what the perspective perspective studies show us. So tell me a little bit, uh, this is obviously a global study. Uh, tell me a little bit about the scope, the global scope, the design of the study. Uh, again, share with us this information. Well, I think the, the, the main goal was to include as many HCC patients as we can, as, as we treat in daily practice, which means uh, across the board, right? BCLC A, B, C, just the patients that we see every day, basically. That, that was our goal. And uh, we recruited uh, multiple centers across Europe, the United States, even in the Middle East, Turkey. Um, so in total, we had 13 centers of different continents. Um, and uh, we recruited over 200 patients in total. That's really very good. A lot of trials, as you know, try to do multi-center investigations and might have one, two or three centers, et cetera. But here uh, with 13 sites in eight countries, you know, that's, uh, that, that's quite compelling that you can perform this and, and demonstrate evidence that's reproducible with all these centers. 
Tell me about the role of simplicity uh, in Target. How was that implemented in the in the trial and, and your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, it is super important if we do this, that we have uh, validated software such as Simplicity, a registered software package that was specifically designed for this purpose. I think this is, this is very important for, from a perspective of standardization. So we all use the same method, basically. The target study had three pillars. It, first, it had a um, preclinical assessment, basically, of all protocols used across these 13 centers in eight different countries. So we really compared all the protocols that were used for imaging to see whether they were comparable. Uh, secondly, we looked at intra and inter-observer variability using cases. So we had a round-robin analysis of multiple cases for all these centers to look at the, the uh, observer variability. And both the protocols and the observer variability seem to be quite well, actually. And I think one of the main reasons is we use the same software, the same validated and standardized software to run these calculations. And then third, and I think this is the, uh, from a clinical perspective, at least the most interesting part, is then we started running the analysis on all these 200 patients. Mm -hmm. And tell me, you're 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 uh, you're able to become quite facile with simplicity relatively quickly. Is this something you're incorporating routinely now? Do you think this is something that can be uh, generalizable to the general interventionalist, nuclear medicine physician, radiation oncologist? Yeah, of course. If you if you implement new software, there's always a little bit of a learning curve, right? I mean that that's something we just have to acknowledge. But in fact, the software itself is quite intuitive. It was also designed with the help of multiple clinicians. So it's really meant for clinicians to use. You do not need to be a physicist to use this uh, specific software. So it's, it's definitely something you can in, implement in the clinics quite easily. There's also a different level of use. I mean, today we're also using what we call one compartment modeling. We choose an average absorbed dose in the perfused volume. And already to that, to that extent, we also have to uh, calculate at least the perfused volume, right? And that is all, already something that you can start doing in simplicity today. And then I think uh, at the same time, learn about the advantage of using a little bit more sophisticated dosimetry, such as we used in dosisphere and also in target. Right. So let's start talking a little bit about the results. And just, just, um, just to clarify exactly, the primary endpoint had to do with grade three hyperbilirubinemias and normal tissue exposure. Can you expand a little bit on the rationale of that being the primary endpoint? Well, we thought about this, obviously, and, and we wanted to have an endpoint. Uh, I think um, the, the primary aim is that we, that we treat our patients safely. And then secondly, of course, we want to be a, as effective as possible. So what we tried to define was what we called unacceptable toxicity. What do we, what do we believe is unacceptable toxicity? And then trying to define an, as an objective endpoint as possible. And that's where we came at grade three, bilirubin increase or, or higher as kind of an objective measurement of unacceptable toxicity. And we wanted to relate that to the absorbed dose in the normal liver tissue, because that's the hypothesis. As the higher the dose, the 
the higher the chance of having a, a unacceptable toxicity. Yeah, I really like that. I, I think you and I agree that um, radiation toxicity and radiation injury to the liver is sometimes very loosely described and discussed by people without a thorough understanding of what it really means. Of course, disease progression can be a confounding variable, as you know, and people conflate these things many times. And so I think trying to isolate, you know, dose and the toxicity is a very elegant way to try to answer this question and to look at it. And so let's continue along those lines of discussion. So it appears that you did not achieve the end point or you did not achieve, uh, um, you weren't able to uh, observe um, many grade threes. Describe to us what you found when you, when you start looking at the results. Well, I think you, you mentioned an interesting point there, uh, Riyadh. Uh, I think um, in general, looking at radioembolization treatments, toxicity is, is, uh, is oftentimes overreported because we have to acknowledge that these patients that we treat, especially BCLCC advanced stage, patients have a dismal prognosis. These are sick patients, right? Oftentimes they have progressive disease. So it's sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to differentiate. Is this really treatment-related toxicity or is it disease-related toxicity? In the target study, we looked at grade three bilirubin increase and we were actually quite conservative using the definition that patients with possible, probable, or definitely related bilirubin increase, they were all counted as unacceptable toxicity. So that's quite a conservative approach. Even having taken this conservative approach, there were only 10 out of 209 cases with grade three bilirubin increase or higher. That's, that's less than 5%. Taking this conservative approach, if you really peel that down to the core, then I think that you that the, the real cases that we say, well, these were probably or definitely related to treatment, we only arrive at one or 2%. And this is a really challenging assessment to perform, Arnix, right? Because these are cirrhotics as well, right? So they already have an embedded uh, degree of untreated grade three toxicities that they will experience with no treatment. Uh, because of cirrhosis, right? That's part of the natural history. And so, so it's interesting that you chose this conservative approach. And despite that, you really uh, weren't able to see sufficient endpoints to make a conclusive statement. So let's talk about the safety then of, of what you've observed with, uh, with target the safety of Therosphere. Tell us a little bit more about the outcomes around uh, TAD response and survival. As a secondary endpoint, I think it is important that that so so just to come back uh, uh, to to toxicity one more time. I think what what it what it tells you the low incidence of toxicity really tells us that we can start optimizing our treatment. So we can now look at the tumor absorbed dose in more detail and optimize that tumor absorbed dose to have a sufficient tumor absorbed dose for a response in each individual patient because. The low toxicity does give us a lot of room for dose intensification. Having said that, as a secondary endpoint, I think a very important secondary endpoint, we, we looked at the dose-effect relationship between a tumor-absorbed dose and effect in terms of response, in terms of AFP levels, and in terms of survival. 
And in all three endpoints, there was a clear and significant relation between the tumor absorbed dose and all these response measurements. So it's really confirmatory. In all these instances, we see this a, a clear relationship between the two. So the higher the tumor absorbed dose, the better the outcome. That's, that's the message. I mean, it's very interesting, right? I mean, as you know, in the oncology space, uh, using response uh, either as a surrogate of survival or demonstrating a long-term benefit from that is very controversial, particularly in cirrhotic disease. There are some uh, studies that suggest response rate uh, is, is a surrogate of overall survival. Some counter that. But clearly, you must believe that in some relationship, if you give the best dose, you get the best response, and as a result, the best survival. Is that, is that a fair reflection of what your thoughts are? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that is something that we not only see in target, but for example, also very, very clearly in dosisphere. So let's talk a little bit about dosisphere. I think that's very important. So one of the things that I think we have all learned to appreciate over the last several years is the importance uh, of dose. And, and uh, let's spend just a few minutes on, on uh, dosisphere. Um, Highlight for us sort of the big picture conclu conclusions that you draw out of the dosisphere findings. I think the dosisphere is, 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 is a very, very important study. Why? Because for the first time, uh, personalized dosimetry was prospectively used. I mean, we all tend to use it to some extent in our daily practice, but it was never compared to the, if, if I may, the old method. So. What we always do is we use an average absorbed dose in our perfused volume in the dosisphere study that was compared to an individualized treatment, really aiming for an optimized tumor absorbed dose while keeping normal liver absorbed dose below safety thresholds. And if you compare the two, and I think it's quite spectacular actually, to see that the response rate doubled. It doubled from, from an already fair 36% to 72%, 72%. If you look at the population of patients with a median uh, tumor uh, size of over 10 centimeter large, many of these patients had PVT, so really sick patients. And then if you are able to reach a 72% response rate, I think that's, that's quite spectacular in that, in that patient uh, population. Yeah, I would agree with you, Marnix. I think I think the dosisphere is one of the most important studies uh, to date on Y90. It was prospectively performed, as you mentioned. The patient population is a is a very advanced patient population: 10, 11 centimeter tumors, two thirds with PVT. And in my opinion, when I when I discuss and debate a patient population that I think is underrepresented in other clinical trials, nobody's really enrolling these very large tumors with PVT, uh, nobody's doing that. Uh, you look at the clinical trials, it's not there. So it's really incredible that he was able to, as you mentioned, double the response. And, and to me, very interestingly, the ability to um, downstage or bridge to resection, I think is a very important concept because while liver transplantation is a great concept, it's not applicable to those large tumors, two thirds with PVT. And so we have to figure out ways to increase resectability of these patients that will never get a liver. And I think 35% uh, resection rate in these large tumors 
is really uh, uh, really a spectacular, uh, spectacular finding. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about in terms of the multi-compartment dosimetry. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about target multi-compartment dosimetry and dosisphere multi-compartment? Are these the same? Are they similar? Uh, how can you compare and contrast? I think, the, of course, the, the, the main difference is that dosisphere was perspective. And we looked uh, this dose-effect relationship in retrospect. But we did use the same software, the same methodology. And it's, it's, it's actually simpler than it looks like. I mean, what we do is simply differentiating between the absorbed dose in the tumor and the non-tumor. These are the main compartments that we look at. And then what we, what we find in target is that amongst patients, there's quite a bit of variability in tumor absorbed dose. If we just use an average absorbed dose, that will result in a high variability among patients. And that's, that's I think, uh, important to see because in these, in these patients in the, at the lower end, there's, there's room for improvement. And that's, that's, that's exactly what dosisphere tells us we can double the response rate if we do it correctly. Yeah, I mean, my observation is seeing what, what Etienne is able to do with those large tumors, you know, gives me even more excitement as to what I can do with these smaller, with these smaller tumors uh, in terms of achieving that response. And so with that in mind, I would like to bring in a little bit now the discussion of legacy, where right? we talked about target and the important importance of uh, dose in target. We've talked about dosisphere, where prospectively uh, the, the dose was performed, dose calculations were performed with amazing response rates and downstaging rates or, or, or conversion to resection. And then Legacy that, that was just published a few, uh, in fact, maybe just a week ago uh, on uh, also a cohort of individuals that got high dose. Um, uh, but your thoughts on, on uh, Legacy real quickly. Well, what, what I very much like about legacy is especially that you see that the higher the higher we start dosing, the the then we come become ablative, and uh, and that's I think what the main message of legacy we can be ablative, we can be ablative with minimal side effects. Um, I think it's important for the audience to to understand that for legacy, we're talking radiation segmentectomies. So that's, that's a very, very, it's a different patient population from dosisphere and target, obviously. Yeah. If we only target a small volume, one or two segments, we should go high. We should go over 400 gray. And if you do so, and I think legacy really nicely shows you that, then, uh, then you have 100% uh, necrosis uh, after resection. Yeah, and that's what, one of the things that we tried to do with Legacy is to capitalize on the tissue that we were obtaining from the resection specimens and the transplant specimens because, you know, imaging is great, of course, but if you can get tissue and really look at what you are doing histologically, that allows you to learn about and infer some things from target, infer some things from dosisphere. I'd love to see the path explants from dosisphere at some point if Etienne's going to publish that as well. And that's why, like you mentioned, in Legacy, we expanded the, uh, the uh, RAD path analysis to show what ablative dosimetry was. Our new number is 400, 410 gray, something like that. And you're right, we can be ablative. Uh, and that is a term that's usually only re uh, uh, reserved for radiofrequency ablation. And in, in some cases, SBRT, right? 
And so yeah. I, I just think that that with the uh, three studies with Target and Dosisphere and uh, Legacy, the idea that more focused, uh, better dosimetry software, better dosimetry, you can get uh, better absorbed dose, better response rate, and of course, link that to overall survival improvement. So I just think that uh, these are very exciting combinations. When you put these three studies together, the trifecta, uh, these three studies together, it really moves the dosimetry field forward. Yeah, I think that the, what, what I like about Target is, I mean, it's real world data from across 13 centers, eight countries, yeah. and there's confirmatory data, both for legacy as well as for dosisphere. For example, in the target study, it was also observed that if the tumor absorbed dose was higher than three, 400 gray, the chances of complete response, a complete radiological response went up. And that really kind of confirms the legacy data. So obviously from a tumor absorbed dose perspective, you wanna go as high as possible. At the same time, it also confirmed the dosisphere study because we really saw a tipping point where uh, uh, chances of response started increasing at around 200 gray. And that was exactly the absorbed dose that was, that was previously found by Etienne Garin and also used in the dosisphere study. So it really nice you shows you in real world data that this can be done in daily practice. It confirms dosisphere in daily practice. And at the same time, it also confirms uh, legacy in daily practice. So I think the, the, these three studies together um, um, yeah, they, they, they closed the loop. That, that's a really good way to put it. Uh, target as real-world data, multi-center international. Uh, Dosisphere is a controlled investigation in a well-selected patient population with the MAA uptake in the portal vein as a biomarker of response, right? I mean, a really elegant way to perform the randomization. And then legacy with blinded independent central review, right? So this is not uh, institutional investigator bias that clearly exists when you're looking at your own scans, but an independent group with 100% local control and, and ablative uh, concept, right? So I think all these things really um, bode very well for imaging and dosimetry and follow-up and rad path correlations. Before we conclude, Marnix, what are, what are your thoughts? What's next, do you think, in terms of what we need to look at from a dosimetry standpoint, there's a lot of focus over the last 24 months, thanks to you and Etienne, of course, uh, in, in highlighting this aspect. What's what's next, you think, in terms of looking at these at dosimetry? I think what's next, um, we have, uh, not that long ago, we, we wrote recommendations on dosimetry for HCC. You can see that the developments go so rapidly that, that we almost need to to to, to rewrite our recommendations already obsolete. Uh, right this really shows you the the level of development it's i mean that's unbelievable but i think we are, we're at the point i mean simplicity is out there the recommendations are out there i think we're we're really at a point to start using this uh, and i think it's um in my opinion this is really about uh, a combination of uh, selection and planning so what, what we try to do is we, we run our scout dose with MAA. We run the, the numbers in simplicity. We look at that. We bring it back to the tumor board and say, hey, is this, is this a good candidate? 
sometimes we do have these patients with relatively hypovascular disease in which are simply not able to reach a sufficient tumor absorbed dose, for example, 150 gray max. And then maybe for that kind of patient, you, sh you should seek for alternatives. Yep. So it's, it's a matter of selection. And at the same time, if it is a good candidate for radiomobilization, we should plan that treatment on an individual patient targeting for at least 200 gray to the tumor. Using, that, using Simplicity software. That's it. Yeah, I agree with you. So, so, so um, I really do think this is exciting now with, with, uh, with all of these studies that uh, have just been presented over the last year or so, clearly moving the field forward. Uh, Marnix, I wanted to thank you for the discussion. I think this, is, uh, this is, was really informative. Uh, uh, certainly, I hope the uh, audience will, will learn from your experience. And I look forward to talking to you and collaborating with you in the future. Thanks, Marnix. Thank you, Riyadh. Thank you again to Dr. Riyadh Salem and Professor Marnix Lamb for being our guest today here at IO Learning. We would also like to thank Boston Scientific, manufacturers of Therosphere Y90 glass microspheres and sponsors of this video. For more information about Therosphere and Simplicity dosimetry planning software, please visit www.therosphere.com.